Hello, everybody, and welcome to our next episode of the DXM podcast. That is Dementi Times Mocha. We are here today with the incredible artist Brian Brinkman. Brian, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, we're going to start where we start all of these and would just love for you to uh, let people know who you are, how you got into the space uh, and all the wonderful things that are you. Yeah, uh, I'm Brian Brinkman. I'm an artist. Um, I guess the beginning goes back to when I was a young teenager and I was making um, animated web cartoons for websites like newgrounds.com and uh, making simple websites. A lot of them were like fan sites for Roller Coaster Tycoon and video game stuff. But that that making content, seeing people view it, seeing people comment on it, that like drove me to become a creator. And then I went to school in Philadelphia for traditional animation, worked in the television and animation industry for about 15 years before uh, I eventually discovered NFTs. Uh, which was because uh, I was a collector of art and I collected this artist named Killer Acid. And he was an early super rare artist. When I saw him posting his work about super rare, it kind of clicked that this was the next medium for animation and digital content. Uh, and so I applied to super rare and that's how uh, my journey began. That was in uh, January of 2020. Yeah, just incredible. I always have a soft spot in my heart because, uh, you know, when we founded the museum, April of 2020, they have those analytics um, and you were our, our top follower. <laughs> so I, I always just remember, you know, and, and it seems consistently that you just are your first to, to so much. You, you <laughs> see so much. You have so many connections. People absolutely uh, love the energy that you bring. So maybe... Um, Let's rewind it and maybe you could just describe what those like early experiments were about. What were you trying to express? Um, you, you started on Super Rare, right? Yeah. Well, I think it all kind of goes even even before NFTs. It's as, as an artist, especially digital artist, a lot of our drive is creating in hopes that it connects with people. And whether that was using sites like Tumblr or Instagram or there were some weird ones like peach or you know these weird apps in hopes that maybe this will be a way for artists to be discovered um so that kind of timeline of creation whether it's creating for the web creating t-shirts creating screen prints we're always trying to figure out ways to make our art tangible goods that people can buy or collect um and so super rare clicked very quickly for me because I was like, I can finally make animation, which I've always been stuck with this um, issue of trying to, well, I think my, my cat's walking into the room. Right now. <laughs> it's not a ghost. My um, <laughs> um, so it, it becomes this like, you know, how do I, how do I create something that utilizes my skills? I was always kind of taking my digital art, printing it in various forms physically so that people could collect it but it wasn't ever fully using my skill set as an animator um mm. and so seeing seeing super rare immediately it clicked back then it was like animated gif only yeah. uh, which i really enjoyed the constraints of that coming from like the tv world where you work in like 
30 minute episodes or uh, the film festival world where you're making like five minute shorts, this idea of making something that's like constrained to like three to five seconds. I mm. really loved that because it kind of similar to like Tumblr and all this stuff where you're just kind of bu building short form content. And then that, that animated GIF aspect kind of forced you to think about how things loop and creating these like endless loops. And I really enjoyed that aspect of like, if you only get three seconds, if you can make that loop kind of a hidden loop, people won't realize it's looping till like 10 seconds in. And there's like, it's like, a, it's like free seconds of entertainment before people are like, Oh, wait a second. This yeah. is a <laughs> um, and so I really loved that, like that game of creation. Um, and so then, you know, started super rare and then, yeah, you start to see more and more different, um, you know, paths for ways you can be creative in the space. And once you start to wrap your mind around the technologies and the platforms, uh, more and more clicks, whether it's like you see async and you understand like program programmability of NFTs, or you see art blocks and generative code based art, you start to like your, your mind expands on what digital art can be very quickly. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to, um, perhaps like attention span and capturing attention. And because, you know, you worked in television for, for quite some time, um, and, you know, moving kind of into the internet, short form content, obviously, I'm sure you're around with like the emergence of, of Vine and, and obviously subsequent death. Uh, do you feel that there is kind of a generational shift in taste and preferences to shorter form content? Yeah, I think our, you know, as a society, our attention span keeps getting shorter. Uh, you know, you look at TikTok and it's just like a nonstop stream and the algorithms of it really tap into your brain in a way that you lose like two hours really quickly. I'm just like, wait a second, I've been looking at this forever. Um, and so I think that, you know, that started back in those Newgrounds days. Even then it was limited to file size. And so it was like what you could fit into a flash cartoon and that was limited to, you know, uh, maybe a couple minutes. Um, and then there was, the, you know, trying to think of like Tumblr and Vine, Vine especially really shortened it. And then this idea of like Snapchat came around where it was like, there's short content and you have to watch it now or you yeah. will miss it. And that, that created an even more of a stress dynamic to content being uh, consumed. And I think that like sped up the rapid pace of content being put out to make up for that difference. Um, and yeah, I mean, working in the, the TV industry, I worked on a lot of like late night television shows or MTV shows and all of those utilized social media. So like when I worked on an MTV show, uh, I would on the side make animated GIFs for their Tumblr as a, like mm. ad additional content. And I got to like write and animate and create those short form contents for them. And they were just like, make whatever you want. Who cares? We just need content. So there, there's some fun about that. So I, you know, all of these things, like I've, I've been very fortunate that like my career path of like 20 years of creation, all of those skills have somehow coalesced into this NFT space perfectly. And do you think it's kind of a, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it must have been a reflexive conversation the whole way with your art and your art practice right as you say kind of like shortening it making the loops tighter um you know does is is there a way that you think that you know perhaps these feedback loops are advising and guiding your art yeah i think so um i you know i look at when i joined the space 
I kind of threw, even though I, my skills are still there, I threw out a lot of my aesthetics and past work out the window. Uh, you know, nice. I was doing um, gallery shows in LA where I was doing kind of pop culture work that was like a Rick and Morty art show or a Monty Python art show. And like, there are all these official like fan shows. Um, and then I didn't want to bring that into the space. I didn't want to bring IP that I didn't own into the space. I wanted to start fresh. And so what I kind of did when I joined Super Rare was I kind of stripped all that out and I started with a simple concept of using colors and animation and then not necessarily sticking to one style but using the same colors to try different styles and that gave me this ability to expand in a lot of different directions while i was kind of exploring the space mm -hmm. and so that idea of cycles plays into that idea because i i would make a piece and then i would make a, a, a different piece but i would incorporate an idea from the previous piece into the next piece and then each one would kind of have a link in a chain to each other so that i could eventually create a cycle where you would start to see pieces revolve back into each other in different forms. I mean, because your palette is immediately recognizable, right? There's you show me something I know right away that that is a Brian Brinkman work. Um, but it's cool because you know, you you work kind of in those muted colors, you also do it in neon, you work in sculpture as well. Um, so you know, there is something about kind of like the diversity of digital that I, I really see you exploring and, and creating in, in many different places. And it's really admirable. Thanks. Yeah, I think the, the color palette's one aspect. And then this idea of iconography, which goes back to like Keith Haring and all these other artists that are, you know, Basquiat, you see a lot of the same icons in the work. Um, in that first piece I did on Super Air was these exploding colors and those clouds became something that continued to evolve bigger and bigger in my work. You started to see the early pieces with like wires those would come back, telephone poles, diamonds, all these all these icons that represented ideas that I had about the space and how they could work together mm -hmm. to build this kind of like, um, you know, uh, it, was, it was kind of subliminal in a lot of ways, but a lot of my work was kind of commentary on my experience in the space, especially the early super rare work. It was kind of like a diary of me understanding the space. Mm -hmm. And so you start to see those like icons telling the story, but in a way that's not, hitting people over the head, hopefully. Do you feel that the space has shifted significantly since those early days? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, there was like crypto punks, but when, when, when I joined the space, when you made Mocha in that April, 2020, like they were off the radar of a lot of people. Um, crypto punks. Crypto punks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until almost a year later when you started to see these kind of web two pioneer people coming in and scooping them up and making them their identity. Um, the Gary V's and the Kevin roses and all that, that, uh, it shifted very quickly. That also happened around the same time that I did my art blocks generative character project. Yeah. Um, one of the even, earliest on thanks. art blocks. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was the 10th art blocks project, but even before that, um, you know, there was uh, Avastars was an early on-chain yep. one, but like people were experimenting with it, but it hadn't caught on. Uh, I would say the first year was, I would say the first six months, everybody hammered one of one art only. Yeah. And then I think Rarible came around. People started going, oh, I want to get some of that Rary token, which was basically free money extra that you made on a sale. Um, and for a month or so, it was a lot of free money if you made a sale. Um, it was on the collector side, whatever you spent, you got back more in Rare Tokens. So you just kept spending, spending, spending. <laughs> yeah. And, and then was, you would get it, back more. 
and then the artists would get extra as well um and so it was this really big incentive to use the platform and it worked until people you know ruined it uh <laughs> but uh, Franksy, man Franksy effect. <laughs> yeah um but that moment everybody whether it was x copy a lot of money sarah zucker we all started putting out these editions of 10 and that that was the beginning of this expansion of scarcity um then you know nifty gateway started to come around i think in october of that year i got on nifty gateway and even those first drops i think it was an edition of five an edition of 10 an edition of 15 or something like that it was like 35 total pieces which is still extremely small compared to like most nifty gateway drops yeah. um and then you know then beeple happened then all these other things you know the the fuck renders all the instagram artists started coming into the space and everything just and then top shot uh that created this idea of collectibles and that changed the mindset about art from straight up art investment to collectible investment. And I think that's when we started to see a, a massive shift mm. in how people thought about collecting and the timeline of how long they thought about collecting. Cause I think, mm. you know, even, even I was doing flips before that, but it was like, a couple months between and then someone would make like i'd make like a hundred dollars flip or something you know it was all right. very small and fun um but then it became this like exponential growth that be, you know it, we saw every successful platform get hit with these like waves of degenerate flippers that would like <laughs> they, were, they were like locusts destroying platforms <laughs> um and so uh and but you know and then the platforms have to recover after they leave but they come and they kind of ransack the market and <laughs> take what they they extract what they can from it and then they move on so how ultimately has that what is the, what is the effect of that because i still feel like right now in the present we are dealing with the effect of it we see even you know a lot of large collectors continuing to liquidate i think like the max stealth sale at Sotheby's that caught me very much by surprise. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one, do you think it's a fad? Do I think NFTs are a fad? Yes. No, I, I, I well, at least as a creator, I don't see a, a more viable career path as an artist and a creator. Um, it's, it certainly has changed how I operate and I know it's changed how thousands of other artists have operated and how we think about creating art. Um, I think the only way it could be a fad is if they strip away all the benefits that artists have gotten, whether it's yeah. removing royalties, removing ownership with CCO, like, you know, the only way it becomes Tumblr is if we have no ownership of what we make anymore. Um, and so I think um, as long as we hold those things up, I think the, the, the path of it will still be strong. I think where we're seeing the change is this kind of realization that not every NFT is worth a million dollars. And I think everything will kind of normalize back to where value kind of held before, but I still think it's, it's still a stronger path than Etsy or Patreon or Kickstarter or any of those other ways that digital artists were trying to make a living before. I mean, it's a wonderful point, you know, follow the collectors will follow the artists. I think the money will follow the artists. So it really comes back to you all to, yeah, you know, feel and decide if, uh, but I, I, I think the key thing there is, is ownership, right? It's like authenticity of your work 
and then providing somebody the ability to, you know, own the token. So I'm curious how you feel about that kind of like token artwork relationship. Do you have any feelings? Um, in what regard? Like, so I always tell people, you know, you don't own the art, you own the token. And mm -hmm. I feel like the artist is giving the art to the internet and to the world and wants it to be shared and wants it to be seen. It's not kind of like in perhaps contemporary art where you like buy the painting, you put it on your wall and then maybe you yeah. show it at a dinner party. Um, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be seen, but you own kind of like that mark of creation or the artist's signature on that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, it's, it is a, a receipt. It's a, an authenticity certificate. Um, you want the art to be shared. I agree. Um, but you also, when, when you put that stamp on the blockchain, you're not just buying the art. You're, you're giving your personal seal of approval on the artist, your investment in their success. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you're creating a, a joint partnership with the artist that both of you are hoping to succeed with. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's what people are buying. Sometimes people are buying art because they're more interested in the artist than the art. And I think that's totally fine uh, because, you know, I think it's all intertwined what we are as a, as humans, as artists, as products, whatever. Um, it's all encompassing of what you're getting when you're, when you're supporting something. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, whether it's connected specifically on the token, I mean, some things are on chain, but some things aren't. Um, in the end, you're, you're kind of just, you're buying a ticket to that artist's future. I think it's provenance, right? It's like mm -hmm. the right and ability to say like, I was here and with this artist at this time when this thing was created. Um, and that's largely why I have so much trouble ever like selling anything in my collection it feels to me like just priceless i get so excited about just going back and remembering what it was like before uh this this crazy swarm and kind of like the power of that connection it means yeah it means mm, even perhaps more than like what the the piece would be obviously just standing alone yeah no i i mean i talk to collectors a lot because they're, you know, whether it's arguments about royalties and all this stuff. And it's like, when I buy a piece of art from an artist, I get more value than just the art. I have a connection with the artist. I'm supporting that artist. I can elevate that artist and they can collaborate or elevate or whatever they want to do with me as well. That, that level of value. And I'm sure you feel the same way with Mocha. Like you get so much value out of the connections you have with the artists that are yeah. much more tangible than the floor value of the piece of art. Um, that I think a lot of people in the space talking about the difference between then and now, a lot of people come in now and they only look at the, the price. They yeah. don't look at what they get in addition to that. And, you know, some people talk about like utility and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, there is a utility. I talk to my collectors. I have a discord. That's a utility to a degree. Um, but the utility is that they're a part of this journey and I'm, I'm taking them along with me. Yeah. I mean, maybe we can get into that as well because you've always been an incredibly passionate and talented collector. 
Um, so, you know, you, you play both sides and, and really like when I, when I think to people that have like the heart of the movement, you, you sit right there. Um, so what made you, I guess, want to collect and kind of, it's, it's almost like, you know, eating your own dog food. <laughs> uh, well, I learned from the people that came before me. Um, Coldy was a prolific collector. Sarah Zucker was a prolific collector. I looked at a lot of those artists that were in that 100, 100 club, which is like artists that had minted and collected a hundred pieces on super rare. And I was like, yeah. that is, those are the true people that really fully believe in what this is. Yeah. Um, I I'm very far from reaching either of those numbers. <laughs> I'm at like 30, 30 right now, maybe, uh, but I've time. collected, I've collected, lots elsewhere um but super rare is very expensive it became much more expensive back it when did. they were collecting it was very cheap it was it was um, <laughs> um and so uh i think you know i look at them and i i looked at how much influence they had on me uh because they were supportive because you know sarah bought one of my pieces and shared it and that gave me validation i wanted to be able to do that for other artists um and you it really you know going back before nfts you know you can see in the background of my zoom i have tons of art i have boxes and boxes of screen prints i don't have room on my walls for i have i collect vinyl records i'm just a collector at heart um and so immediately i was like oh i don't have space for any more physical art but i can have an unlimited amount of nft art yeah. and so and and essentially have the same same mechanism for supporting artists that i had before um it's just perfect and so like again all of these things like clicked very quickly for me um and then it's just a matter of like you know making <laughs> you have to be an artist to make the sales to get the money to collect and then it becomes like well the, a flywheel of uh <laughs> support yeah it's it's really just incredible i want to kind of like touch again on more of the um like the value of just outside of the artwork and you know i think we've really seen together this this new york city scene emerge yeah. um maybe do you want to talk about because obviously when things were happening it was COVID, right yeah. and then we kind of came back together and we're rediscovering people in like physical form <laughs> the first nft nyc was important this one was really important yeah. Um, we've been hanging out at different events a lot. So maybe do you want to talk about like New York City as kind of a nexus point for for yeah. arts and artists and collectors? Yeah, no, I was well, like the first month I was in the space, I had I uh, wanted to go to the NFT NYC. This was in January of 2020 or something. Um, but I I was worried that like I was too new and no one would know who I was and I would, I would be out of place. and I felt uncomfortable. And then a, a month or two later, COVID happened. And I was like, oh, man, that was my, <laughs> only, my only chance to meet people in real life. Um, and so uh, I, I regretted that for a long time. And so then once um, COVID stopped happening, uh, there was a moment where I got to there was a lot of artists that I had collaborated with that were in New York that I just never got to meet, uh, whether it was like Car and 4D. I did a drop with him and I'd never met him in real life. Uh, Sam Bruckman, I did uh, Async Music Genesis piece with. I'd never met him in real life. Uh, there was a moment where all of us went to Times Square for Artifacts, which is like Roger Dickerman's project. Um, he put a bunch of NFT artists on the screens in Times Square and everybody just met up in Times Square 
and we got to just meet each other. And that was like mm. the, the beginning of it of like, okay, this is tangible. This is real. That was also about, a, I think a week after I had left my job at NBC, which was like two blocks away. Uh, but I hadn't been in that building in months or years as well because of COVID. Um, and so like, that was the beginning of like Dave Krugman, Gavin Shapiro, Sergito, all these collectors and artists were like, this is it. We're into this. This is like going to happen. Um, and then from there, there started to become like dinner parties and like things started to open up to the point where it was like NFT NYC and then Art Basel. You started to see like this, this internal urge from artists like we got to go somewhere and meet people. I, there was there was a, a, a Miami Bitcoin thing. I remember yeah. that like everybody the week before was just like, I'm going to Miami. I got to go to Miami. Like it was just like there was this urge of people uh, trying to, you know, connect with other people. And so that that all kind of steamrolled. And yeah, like you said, we we, we run into each other all the time now because like New York, we're so fortunate that there's just so many people in the industry that live here and that are outgoing and putting together stuff like Dave Krugman. He puts together yeah. stuff in Brooklyn all the time. Um, NFT Nick, who does NFT Portal, he put together wonderful dinners often. Um, and there's there's this you know community that has really built up and it's very strong. Um, and that I, I think we're, we're very fortunate to live in, you know, one of the few cities that have these like very strong NFT, uh, communities. And I mean, just going there, that's when you know, it's real, right? Because you can fake a lot of passion online. You can put a lot of misinformation out there, but when you get to meet people connect in person, you really feel like the heart and spirit of the movement. Um, and you know, I, I found this, I think one other time in, in Lisbon, where a lot of the, the European people came together and discussing, but I really do find it in New York. Uh, yeah. And yeah, we, I love we that. see it yeah. a lot at um, bright moments. I, I run into you there right. often as well. Like that's, that's in an extremely passionate people about generative art. I'll go to this venue in New York. Uh, it's, in, it's in a bunch of cities if you haven't been, but um, uh, it's, it's a wonderful kind of community that's built within just that gallery system. And we're starting to see a lot of galleries have their own mini communities, whether it's Super Chief or Bright Moments or Super Rare has their own gallery now. And like these become hubs of community uh, organizing. Yeah, shout out, shout out the Bright Moments guys. They've done an incredible, incredible job um, and have, have grown tremendously. Let's let's talk about like how you display and experience and uh, love your collection of art. I mean, I see yeah. whatever that is in the background. Is that a mural? Uh, that is Nandia? an atomic form. That's an atomic form. Shout out atomic form. They're cool. Yeah, but I also have a mural downstairs, and I have a, a logo in transit. Hopefully, um, yep. uh, I love displaying art. Um, I loved back going back to like April, 2020, that was when, um, Pranksy <laughs> shout out to Pranksy again. He put together this thing in crypto boxes that was called Pranksy land, where he basically had swept a huge chunk of land in this metaverse called crypto voxels. And he gave all the plots, to different artists to create our own installations with the idea that we would sell them and split the profits with him. Um, in the end, I think only like myself and Coldy and Hackatow sold our plots, but it was still a really cool district that every artist um, got to make their own experience in. And that was the beginning yeah. of me starting to like curate my art and creating experiences in these worlds, which I then went on to do again for like my Nifty Gateway drops. I built pop-up galleries for that. I built museums for myself. I built galleries for showing other artwork. 
And then, you know, things expanded, Decentraland, on cyber, all these other ways. I, I'm a huge fan of curating the collection. It becomes hard because it becomes so big. It's, yeah. it's becomes, uh, you know, you usually are limited to like a hundred and so pieces. Uh, so you have to like really think about how things pair together. But I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy just sharing it because then you're sharing a hundred people's artworks and exposing them to other people. And that, that feels really good. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. And so every, every like six or so months, I usually recurate my collection and try and swap new things in and out and bring in other artists. Um, I'm a big fan of bringing in like 3d sculptures and stuff like that. Um, so I think that that's just a fun hobby of mine. I wish I could spend more time doing it, but sometimes I like spend a couple hours. I'm like, Oh, I gotta actually do my <laughs> do own work. Something. I know, <laughs> um, I know. but it's so fun. And now, you know, uh, was it two days ago? I got to announce that I'm a part of Nifty Gateways Publishers program. So now I get to cool. actually onboard and curate artists onto that platform and kind of highlight them and help them kind of expand their communities. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, to a degree, I'm doing that with a bunch of different platforms. You know, I've always been helpful at like, uh, you know, recommending artists and helping helping people grow. So I think that's, you know, that's that's going back to those early artists, whether it was a lot of money or Josie or Sarah Zucker, people that elevated me, push, giving that forward to more people has always been a part of my, my belief in this space. Yeah, it feels that way. It feels... Um it's never particularly felt very individualistic, right? And that was that was what was so kind of attractive to me. You know, we did our first show with Rhyolite, and I don't yeah. know if, yeah, you know, I don't know how much experience you had with him, but. I had some, we, we he actually was, he, t he gave me a tutorial on how to sign NFTs on contract. And we had traded NFTs. I still have a piece he made and he had a piece of mine that, after he passed, uh, had resold. Um, I think now it's blockchain bread owns it, but, um, yeah, that was, that, that one hit me because he was just such a positive force. And he was just like a, a community person at heart, right? Yeah. There was, he was so open and, um, yeah, I go back and I think of all these people. And, and again, I, I think you have so much of that spirits like always so joyful so open to sharing like reciprocating everything um and that's where i really feel like we're on the verge of something new and different it's it's not so much like an artist getting representation through a dealer through a gallery uh but it is it's about like these little individual nodes these little connections kind of these little wires right like creating something more, creating like a, a, a larger, more powerful form. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's hard to trust in that, but you know, I, I've, you found a way for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you look at some of like, who, who are the influencers in this space? I try not to think of myself as an influencer, but the bigger artists are ma massively influential in steering collectors to other artists. Yeah. Um, whether it's Grant Yoon telling people about an artist or if it's X copy telling people about an artist, they have power that collectors don't have because collectors have a financial incentive that people right. immediately put up a wall against, I think. Yeah. Um, unless, unless, you know, there's some collectors that can 
you know, a Cosmo or something can like put his finger on somebody and make them very popular like DK. Um, but usually they have to do that with a large amount of money. Whereas I think <laughs> uh, uh, artists don't, artists can just say, right. this guy's legit go by T Joe. And then people are like, Oh, he's legit. You know? So like, yeah. it's, it's a different type of power that we have. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it works. Well, just uh, as you know, as somebody who is not an artist who does not use the tools that you all are using every day, it is hard to know, like, what is a model? What is derivative? What is like unique? And, and frankly, you have to rely on the artist to tell you these things. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was always, um, you know, in, in the beginning as well, looking at the collections of like Coldy, Robness, Sarah Show, um, you know, the, the other artists that were, you know, just pushing from both like their artistic perspective and then, you know, who they were collecting. And, and that's what I always go back to is it's people ask like, how do you know what to collect? How do you find, I, I don't, it's like the artists tell me. <laughs> yeah, on that you've kind of built that into Mocha to a degree because all these artists can curate their collections and share it via the Mocha kind of backend. I mean, you know what what we've done is really tried to just like totally invert a museum, right? If if the artist tried to totally invert the art world, we've tried to totally invert a museum. And if we can just give more tools to people to express themselves, to help curate to like get out of OpenSea as that default place to show collections, to make it very easy to like build exhibitions and deploy them into metaverse worlds. And yeah, really just share and give it some sort of meaning and help people like derive intention and context because a lot of that just due to the frenetic pace gets lost. But yeah. I think we will over the next couple of years kind of come back to that. And we have to like look and reconcile with with what we've done and what we've collected and it's very very easy to just like click you know and then the ethereum's gone and you have the art piece but uh what does it mean and and kind of speak to those collections and like yeah. you said you know i take hours curating my art i am nowhere near at the place where i want to be in terms of curating it um but i love to go back and and think about it and and I know when I look at the image, I know immediately how I was feeling. I know like immediately where I was. I knew kind of like immediately what the spaces was going on at the space at the time. And I think that also speaks to, you know, we have like a quickening of culture, but we also are like living in nostalgic times for maybe like pre-internet and, you know, whether it was like Pokemon cards or Pogs or baseball cards or whatever people were collecting as kids, this definitely feels like a return to that. And it is just like a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think there's, there's an aspect that you kind of touched on with curation, which is that this space, a, a massive amount of the value derived from it is based on attention and you have to share art if you want it to grow value. So as a collector, you have to put your collection out there. You have to say, this is important because of this. Uh, it's artists' roles to kind of help collectors steer that messaging. Um, but you look at the most successful artists in the space, and they all are either really good at social media or they have collectors that are. Um, and so, you know, to 
it's one thing to buy art and support art, but then you have to uplift the art if you want it to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, I think I still believe that art is the use case of the metaverse, right? We need more of these experiences that kind of abstract us from reality um, that kind of like cut the veil of like the constant stream of information that we're inundated with. Um, and we want to like be joyful and we want to celebrate people and we want to, you know, where know where like the latest AI is going or wherever, you know, the latest 3d art is going. Um, and, and I think it being born of that pandemic when we were also isolated, uh, is a wonderful like return. People say it all the time, this idea of community, uh, you know, it can exist online, but as we've kind of talked about in this, it can also very much exist in the real world. And it is all just very like burgeoning and exciting. And even though the market is slow, um, I agree that I don't think yeah. this is the fad. The market's still way above where it was uh, when that April 2020. <laughs> um, and yeah. it's, it's, you know, going back to that point, that was, you, you kind of nailed it. Like the metaverse was my coping mechanism to a major degree um, because I had no social life because of lockdown in New York. Um, yeah. Those WIP meetups that would happen every Wednesday in CryptoVoxels were dozens of people would go and talk about their projects. That was back in the day when there was only a couple projects coming out a week and it was very easy to keep track of. Uh, but like, shout out, shout out Matthew and Rizzo. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, that, that changed how I looked at the space. You know, those early Josie YouTube videos changed how I understood the space. Uh, yeah. You know, people like Matt Kane and um, you know, Jason, uh, kind of talking about the history and the, the details of the space and even like Jimmy talking about on chain art. Like yeah. I learned that all from people, not from YouTube, you know, not, not from like, you know, these, how to, how to make an NFT. Like that stuff didn't exist back then. You had to be in the space. You had to learn from each other. Rhyolite, all these people would, I would reach out to them and say, how do I mint this? You know, it's like, right. it was a different experience that really, you know, required you to be, outgoing in a way that you know probably held back a lot i i looking back at how many people i could not convince to join the space back then just be <laughs> whether it's because you had to make a video of yourself for super rare that made them all feel weird or right. um whether they thought it was uh nonsense like it, it's even though the space has had a bell curve where we're at now is so much further in terms of educating the public than where we were then it's pretty yeah. incredible i i just, I just remember like there was moments back then when any news article talked about NFTs, we were all like, Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> there's some attention. <laughs> like, and now it's like, there's hundreds a day. It's right. crazy. Right. And you know, I don't even get mad at like collectibles or, or PFPs anymore because I think all of it is just like onboarding more people kind of up and, and through the funnel. Yeah. Um, well, I look at like, I, I used to feel that way. And then there was one point where it, someone that was an NBA top shot podcast invited me on and I, they were like, if you want to bring a giveaway. So I gave away one of my neon flicker NFTs from nifty gateway uh, to someone random listening. But through that dozens of people went and bought my work and became art collectors yeah. that were 
at that point only NBA Top Shot collectors. Yeah. And like that, uh, that transition then got them onto Nifty Gateway and all this other stuff. And like, you know, you don't think about it at the time because you're always trying to like hit these demographics that you think are correct. But yeah. really, everybody here is a collector. And it's just a matter of exposing them to other stuff because everybody's in their own bubbles. And there's no reason why someone that likes sports isn't going to like art. True. Um, and so it's just a matter of like, how do you approach it? And how do you frame it in a way that they don't look at it? And, you know, they can distinguish the two types of collecting. I definitely want to give you some time to just talk about anything that is upcoming that you can talk about um, or anything you know, that, that you're working on, that you're excited about, or even, you know, maybe that new chatter art piece you did, that was pretty cool. Oh yeah. No, I'm happy to talk about that. About a month or so ago, I put out a drop with Rich Caldwell, another super rare artist that does drone photography. And it was a collaboration with Transient Labs, which is a really wonderful group of coders that you, you should definitely check out all of their work. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a piece of art that was a one of one that could be shattered uh, on the contract and turned into 16 unique additions um and in the end it sold to pack um merit pack um and then he shattered it and what he's gonna do with it who knows i think one of his plans is to send some of them to people that he likes um and i think that's really cool i i loved that idea of letting the collector become the distributor mm. um have to have to like it's, it's weird that Pac did it since he's like, he knows more than like almost anybody in the space. But I, I, I liked this idea of a collector then having to like figure out if they want to sell art, you know, it's, there's something fun about like that dynamic of choose your own adventure. Um, and then um, that kind of ties into what my next nifty gateway drop will be, which is on September 15th, which is the day of the merge. So hopefully it all goes well. Um, uh, but this idea of like control and as an artist in the space, whether you have control or if the collectors have control or are you steering it, who's, who's in charge. Uh, these are the ideas that I keep kind of popping in my head over the past six months. Cause there's all these discussions on royalties and CCO and ownership and whether you should be giving up everything or letting, you know, these ideas of control are continuing to fluctuate and change. And so my new pieces on Nifty Gateway kind of focus on these ideas of what the space is, what the, overall feeling of it is but hopefully uh it connects with people and that'll come out soon and then yeah i think i have a handful of other fun things i'm going to be producing a drop on nifty gateway for Ika almez later this month um and hopefully i'll i'll have another art blocks drop coming up in the future and a bunch of you know secret drops that'll come out in the next few months that'll catch everybody off guard in fun ways all right ladies and gentlemen brian brinkman uh let everybody also know where they can find you, find your arts. You're definitely yes. on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian Brinkman, that's B-R-Y-A-N. And then uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I have a website, brianbrinkman.com. I have some other social medias that I don't update very often, so don't mess with those. <laughs> uh, but uh, And I have a Discord. You should, uh, uh, feel free to come join the Discord. It's, it's a nice, uh, wonderful community of collectors and non-collectors that just uh, vibe. Yeah, and people can find your art on Super Rare, Nifty Gateway, uh, Artifacts. Art Blocks, Async Music, uh, Collective, Digital X, Genies, everywhere. Anywhere uh, they my, sell it. Yeah. Um, my goal is to be on every single platform possible. So. Yeah, super. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thank you for the time. Real pleasure. Uh, thank you. I'm, 
I'm Colborn Bell with Museum of Crypto Art. Shout out to Dementi for putting this all together. Uh, and everybody, you stay well out there. Breaking news. 